1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you've missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy.
3: Julia Hartley Brewer at breakfast on talk radio.
2: Well, good morning to you. Thank you very much indeed for your uh, company this morning and indeed the company of Emma Revel. She's uh, from the Institute of Economic Affairs. She's joining me all this morning. Uh, if you want to know my views on uh, what it is that uh, is going on in number 10 with this power struggle in number 10, Lee Kane now quitting as director of communications after being offered the job of chief of staff. That being effectively, it sounds like, vetoed by the prime minister's fiance Carrie Simmons, and not, not happy uh, Allegra Stratton either, who's going to be doing those White House style briefings as of January. Uh, it does appear there's a big power struggle going on. Should we care about this? Should it matter? well, it depends if it affects policy. But no one's resigning. Over 50,000 people dead and all the other people dead uh, as a result of uh, uh, of uh, the COVID policies and no one's resigning because of all the job losses either So, and all the uh, extra tax that's going to have to be paid in the years to come. Uh, so this isn't about principle. This is about power. Um, and you want to know my thoughts? We put them out uh, on air about 7 o'clock this morning. You should have tuned in earlier, folks. Uh, we put that out on social media if you want to have a look. Uh, it's on our Twitter feed at Talk Radio and mine at Julia HB1. But my goodness me, if downing street don't listen uh, they are going to be in a heap of trouble uh, right now let's talk about that and plenty more with my first guest in this hour andy burnham is the mayor of greater manchester and of course a former labor health secretary as well good morning to you andy
4: Good morning, Julian.
2: So much to talk about and and, and so much to talk about this rather more um, actually impacting on ordinary people's lives today. Um, Let's talk though first about um, what is going on, this power struggle in number 10. Uh, What do you make of this going on, battling over who has uh, access to the prime minister at a time of a pandemic? 50,000 deaths. Goodness knows how many job losses, businesses closing, talk of taxes going up uh, and, and, and all the rest of it. What do you make of the whole thing?
4: Uh, it's not a good look at all, is it, uh, Julia? Um, I mean, always in politics, certainly in number 10, you've got uh, internal struggles going on all of the time. I think that happens in any time. But number 10 is normally very good at you know, keeping a lid on it and being a highly professional operation. And this sounds like it's anything but, doesn't it? It's uh, uh, out in the open. And to be honest, it's been our experience dealing with the government at that, that level. It feels slightly chaotic at times, and we can't afford it to be chaotic any of us we need them to get their act together and they need to get their act together today and get their eye on the, the main situation well, here it. does it
2: matter because a lot of people have saying i've never heard of this guy we all heard of dominic cummings i've never heard of lee Kane. i don't know what he looks like from adam he could walk in the pub if we were allowed to go in the pub but i wouldn't recognize him does it matter what's going on does it have an actual effect do you believe on the policies when it comes to covid and it comes to the economy
4: yes i'm afraid it does uh in my experience of being in westminster uh these, these individuals, particularly the one that we're talking about, is powerful, more powerful than pretty much every backbench MP. I wouldn't say everyone, but, but pretty much every backbench MP and every junior minister. So, yes, it definitely does matter. They have a, a disordinate sway over the decisions that the government makes, the way that the government goes uh, about its business. They're in the ear of the prime minister Pretty much all day, every day. And it was ever thus, Julia, under all governments. So I'm not saying it's anything particularly unique to this one, but it certainly does matter. It affects the conduct of number 10, which in the end has got to be the Rolls Royce operation of government. If any government is to have authority in the country. And it would feel increasingly to me that this one doesn't have that authority. It doesn't emanate from the centre of government. And that is, I'm afraid, why it matters.
2: Okay. well, uh, let's talk more about uh, what you're doing today. You're going to take part uh, with another mayor in the north, Steve Rotherham of Liverpool, in an event about, uh, well, tackling the problem of the excluded people, the people who are not benefiting uh, from the financial help that the government is handing out. Rishi Sunak, you know, very benevolent, benevolent uh, we're putting our arms, around all the people who are affected the furlough schemes, the the grants, the access to loans and all of that. But there are three million people at least who are completely excluded from that help. And that's your concern today.
4: It is, Julia. Steve and I have campaigned against big injustices in the past, but we think this is this is up there. Uh, Here we are in a second national lockdown and three million fellow citizens, taxpayers have no support and they've had no support all year. How are they meant to cope? Uh, With Christmas on the horizon, it's just not right, is it? And I think this is the the thing, really. Last week, we heard the confirmation of furlough being extended at 80%, which I support, by the way, and the Chancellor made the right decision on that. Also, support for people uh, who are self-employed. But there's so many more people that are frozen out of those schemes. So people who've just started a new job, or people who just have newly become self-employed, or what they call PAYE freelancers. In your world, Julia, there'll be many, many of those working in the media uh, industries. We're talking about people who are company directors, but don't get the wrong impression of that. They might just run their own ironing business or mobile hairdressing business or uh, whatever it might be. And and they pay themselves from dividends, but they aren't getting uh, any support either. It's just not right. And I think that the Chancellor has left, um, he's had a blind spot really about this, and he's left all of those people out in the cold. And I just don't see how it can be justified. They've paid their tax, they've worked hard like anybody else, how can they be left with nothing?
2: And the argument from the chancellor has been: look, you know, you just can't end up helping everybody. It's so difficult to verify people's earnings if they've just started a business, or, or again, if they've been paying dividends. But even th- this idea early on: well, if you have got more than 50% trading profit, uh, that you're not, el- uh, uh, you're not uh, eligible uh, for that, and things like that. And 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 actually, you know, a lot of those people will be will be just getting by, uh, and and they were just getting by in the first few weeks and months. But you know, as we are in the second lockdown, and as we saw. With, uh, with with uh, Manchester and indeed Liverpool as well, uh, with Steve Rotherham, that um, you know we didn't see the same level of financial help for businesses up north until, of uh, what a surprise, London got affected by its lockdown and then then the furlough help came, came uh, steaming through, that, that actually a lot of these people who just survived the first lockdown aren't going to make it through the second one.
4: Well, that's it. You know, we, that's the point we were making. We've been in that Westminster bubble, Steve and I. We know what it's like and we know um, that sometimes it can be very kind of remote from the real world. <clears throat> and in the real world now, I think there's uh, stresses and strains on people that are becoming unbearable. Um, for this three million, I think uh, there is a mental health crisis going on alongside a pandemic because they can't see a way now of, of making things work. They are close to losing their homes. Um, they are worrying about Christmas and getting anything for the for the kids. I mean, they are left in, a, in an appalling situation that nobody would want to be in. And I honestly, while I have some sympathy with the Chancellor because the complexity of what he's dealing with is, is huge. And I, and I accept that. I don't buy the line that you can't help everyone. I think you can help everyone. It's perfectly possible to help everyone. If they just look at the um, the tax that those people have paid, the arrangements that they've they've got, it is perfectly possible to give something to help everybody and that is what the government should do because bear in mind if we are approaching a vaccine and if we are still thinking about uh, you know getting the recovery going <clears throat> it can't be right that we're going to have three million people who will just be on on their uppers basically and and, and are unable to be ready to be part of that recovery.
2: Hold on a minute though. I mean, you're Mm. you're somebody who, you know, you're in the news an awful lot in recent months, you know, fighting against, you know, moving into different tiers and making sure you get the financial help for the businesses and the the employees who need it uh, during that movement in tiers. And yet you support your official Labour Party policy of of the second lockdown. You, I mean, you supported that policy. Um, you, You know, you wanted have a second lockdown even though infection rates in large parts of the northwest were going down even before we went into second lockdown places like liverpool uh, which was one of the hotspots far west of manchester um liverpool uh, infection rates were going down even before they moved into tier three uh, why do you support a policy which creates these problems for businesses surely if you want to be on the side of businesses and people who are losing out on money and work wouldn't it make more sense to not support the complete closing down of our economy
4: well, I support it to save people's lives. Um, There's no evidence that
2: lockdowns save lives. The World Health Organization I think doesn't. There, is. there isn't. No, there really well, isn't. It, the World Health Organization have said that lockdowns if don't. You slow save the lives.
4: transmission of the disease, Julia. If you look back to March and April, I think you can see a very, very clear correlation between the national lockdown. And a massive reduction. No, in no, the no. Of, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, with all cases. due
2: respect, Andy. That's not the case. The infection rate no. and the infec- no, no, t- t- no, no, um, and no. I'm, no, no, no life Andy. Life. It's not an opinion. It is a simple matter of fact that the death rate peaked two weeks after we entered lockdown. That was too soon for it possibly peaked as a result of the lockdown.
4: No, I'm saying the lockdown brings down the number of cases. I, I don't think it's possible to claim that the national lockdown earlier this year didn't bring down the overall number of cases. And uh, based on that evidence, I, I would put lives. it to you that the second national lockdown will bring down the overall number of cases. They were already and that, going end, down. It will reduce the number of deaths.
2: They were already deaths, going down. Are, no, no, The world, no. The cases. World Health Organization says it doesn't reduce the number of deaths. It simply pushes the deaths further. It just slows down the deaths. You just have them over a longer period of time. It pushes. It just delays them. It doesn't stop them.
4: Well, I mean, also, I have a view about that. There is a justification for a national lockdown. And actually, the cases were still rising in Greater Manchester when the national lockdown, this most recent one, was put in place. I do think it's fairer to do it on this basis. I have some sympathy with you about regional lockdowns. I don't think regional lockdowns are working. They are not turning the cases around. We were told by the experts when we were in discussions with the government that only the decisive national approach is what really turns the cases uh, back around so my argument has always been do what will be effective when it comes to a lockdown okay. but put in place proper support and i get back to my main theme julia how can it be right to say we will help employees we will help people who are self-employed but we will just miss out completely three million people who are cogs in the economy, who keep things going, who actually are often the people who are the hardest working, missed for so many other things, uh, living life on the knife edge. You know, These are people who deserve support. And that's the uh, approach okay. that Steve and I are taking today. Wow. We want them to tell their stories. We want the government to hear their voices. We want them to get the support they should be entitled to as taxpayers. Across the
3: UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
3: On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio.
2: Let's leave all the uh, politics behind. Well, I'm sort of leaving the politics behind, and let's talk about uh, what happened at the Cenotaph yesterday on Armistice Day, the day that we mark uh, the uh, commemorations of the, uh, the the downing of of weapons, effectively, at 11 o'clock uh, on the 11th day of November in, 20, so in 1918, uh, the end of the First World War. This was the day the Extinction Rebellion decided to uh, lay a climate change wreath and hold up banners at the Cenotaph uh, yesterday. Uh, they held up a, a Banner uh, saying honour their sacrifice climate change means war Uh, huge anger about this Emma do you share the concern that uh, they tried to hijack a war memorial uh, for their own cause?
0: Well yes I mean I don't think it's that they they tried to they definitely did that's absolutely what they did and uh, you know the ability of Extinction Rebellion to undermine their own cause on an almost daily basis never ceases to amaze me, because I, I, I don't I don't understand how they don't understand that they're alienating people with all of these activities. You know, I don't care how good your cause is; that's not what the Cenotaph is for. Leave it out of whatever your pe- you know protest is this week. It's about remembering the war dead. That's what it should be for. It shouldn't be for anything
2: else. Indeed. Well, let's talk about uh, this with my next guest. Uh, Matt Ridley is a Conservative peer, great grandson of the architect of the Senate, often someone who's been uh, writing about and investigating the issues of climate change and how to tackle it for many, many years. Uh, Lord Ridley, good morning to you.
3: Good morning. Good Gideon. morning.
2: What was your reaction when you saw the video put out by Extinction Rebellion of them uh, walking along, looking all very serious, somber, someone in a, uh, a military uniform, someone in a nurse's uniform, laying a wreath uh, by, with act now uh, as the slogan on climate change and, and unfurling a banner saying climate change means war at the Senate
3: well uh, emma's quite right this was hijacking something that is not not supposed to be political not supposed to be uh, partisan in any way it's the one place in the country where we can all agree that we we honour the memory of the dead uh, when edwin lutchins designed it uh, it was an extraordinary design. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. It was unveiled exactly hundred years ago in 1920. He designed it in six hours uh, from scratch. None of the verticals are actually straight. They all meet at a point 500 feet up in the air. It's 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 a very satisfying thing. And he took the name. Uh, From an almost extinct word. Nobody was using the word cenotaph in those days. It means it's an old Greek word for a memorial to someone who's buried elsewhere. Um, He borrowed that and he insisted on no religious iconography, no crosses or anything like that, because it's supposed to honor Hindus and Muslims and uh, Jews as well as Christians. Um, And so he was you know the whole point was this is not a partisan place this is a place where you don't do political stunts and i think it's immensely disrespectful of them to have done it and pretty irritating that the police who after all are parked in very large numbers right next door uh, didn't do anything about
2: it. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I believe in freedom of speech and, and freedom of peaceful expression. And as long as they're not doing any damage, part of me is thinking, no, they should have the right to do their horrible, crass, inappropriate stunt. And then we have the right to judge them and criticise them for it. And we that's what we do in a peaceful democracy. And yet we know that uh, other people, veterans who wanted to be at the Senate, who wanted to, to get close to the Senate off were not allowed to be at the cenotaph within recent days and ended up being arrested. So it does seem to be yet again double standards being shown by the police. And, and as always, yet again, there is criticism of Dame Cresta Dick, the chief of the Metropolitan Police. She's now ordered a review into how the banner and the wreath were allowed to be put on and then remain on memorial when, when police are being uh, curtailing so many of other people's freedoms.
3: Well, we, we could assume it's cock up rather than conspiracy yes. if it wasn't for the fact that the last time Extinction Rebellion did something dramatic when they shut down newspaper uh, printing presses, um, the local police uh, chose to, their words, facilitate what uh, Extinction Rebellion were doing because they considered it a peaceful protest. They don't facilitate it when lockdown sceptics have a have a protest. They don't facilitate it when a, a piper wants to go and play a lament uh, near the cenotaph uh, on Remembrance Sunday. So, the, as you say, the, the real question that more and more of us are starting to pose is why the double standard?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very big issue, and especially with policing by consent. It's absolutely vital that we do feel, all of us law-abiding citizens, that the police are on our side, uh, all of us, and, and are treating these things equally. Um, the thing about this rebellion is, the Extinction Rebellion, they will clearly think that they've done a good job because, hey, we're all talking about it. It's a, you know, it's pictured in all the papers, people that are sharing this video online. Um, and their view was, well, as long as people get the message out there, that's what matters. But this will do them more and more damage, won't it? Because they need to bring the the British people on Side. And this is exactly the sort of thing like that, you know, stopping printing presses uh, from distributing newspapers, um, uh, like the sort of you know, the hanging onto tube trains at Canning Town a couple of years ago, stopping ordinary people getting to work by public transport, for goodness sake. Um, even Docklands like railway, elect- electric train system, they were trying to stop people. Um, this is the sort of stuff that really turns the public off, even people who are quite sympathetic to their cause. And I am not one of those, let's make that clear. This turns off the people who were thinking they were actually. She do you know making a good point?
3: Well, I I, I think uh, you know one of one of the issues is that this feels more and more like a sort of jolly day out for middle class people uh, yeah. who want to sort of show off that they care rather than any serious uh, attempt to grapple with the issues. I mean, you know, their their, their slogan that. Climate change causes war is simply untrue. Uh, climate change, so far, has in caused uh, an increase in crop yields around the world in in all areas, and that has led to less hunger and uh, so on. Um, it's possible that in future there might be wars over climate change, but uh, you've got to be you've got to make some pretty implausible conjectures to get there. Climate change is a problem, but the fact that it's causing war is simply a falsehood. Um, and so you you can't help feeling, as I say, this is more about how to entertain um, bored young people who want to... uh, show off well, it, uh, than uh, about anything serious to do with the issue.
2: It always seems to be public school kids as well doesn't it, who who, again don't seem to have proper jobs uh, and everyone else just trying to you know, pay their rents and pay their bills. But but this is the thing, isn't it, is that the, a lot of the claims of, of these climate change protesters are just completely easily, easily refutable. Not just deniable, refutable. We can prove that they're not true. That More and more people, millions are going to die as a result of climate change. Deaths from climate change have gone down by 90% in the last century because of human injury. Uh, These constant uh, overegging of any of the claims in terms of the number of degrees that the temperature is rising—again, not not even stuff you know that, that even uh, the the, the uh, IPCC are, are claiming it is actually happening—they they totally overegged this. And yet, small point worth making: the government has given into their zero net zero target, okay, by 2050, not 2025. But nevertheless, the government has taken on board an awful lot of their demands.
3: Uh, well, I'm afraid it is a problem that uh, government ministers are parroting some of the re- some of the claims about how dangerous climate change is. Climate change is a real problem. It it, it happens. Uh, it is something we need to deal with. But the idea that it presages imminent extinction, that it's an extremely urgent issue, that it should trump all other issues, that we should actually damage our environment in all sorts of ways by covering hills in wind turbines and and things like that, or burning uh, forests in power stations in order to try and offset it, uh, is, I'm afraid, a big mistake. Uh, and I do worry that all we're going to end up doing uh, in this country is racking up the price of, of energy, uh, hugely reducing the reliability of our energy supply so that the lights start going out. And we've had some very near misses on blackouts just in the last few weeks because of the unreliability of wind. Um uh, and uh, all for nothing, because there's nothing Britain can do on its own to, to stop the temperature yeah, rising. Uh, and uh, there's very little the world can actually do uh, until we find a reliable source of energy, of affordable energy, uh, that uh, can can come in sufficient quantity, okay. and that ain't renewables. Across the UK, online on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio.
2: Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.